live. What do I do with my hand? And Brent's just Brent's just on his phone. We're live now, and Brent's just what's he doing over there? I just, he's just te- probably he's, probably I just had to see our that's a whole product PPC. That's OnlyFans. Oh. I just wanted to see. Brent's just on OnlyFans. Brent, we talked about this. Yeah, you can't business during business. Yeah, you can't spend all your per diem on OnlyFans. True. Can't spend all. I mean, he wasn't, and then he found out that you had one, and then he was like, "Well." I guess as long as it's going to me. Then yeah, it's it just, in the family. It's recycling the, he's reinvesting in the business. <laughs> Perfect. It's a business expense. But then OnlyFans takes their cut. So yeah. overall, it's a loss. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll still keep my OnlyFans. All right. Link in bio, everybody. <laughs> Shameless plug. Shameless plug. <laughs> Tell us about your OnlyFans, Joel. Oh, man. What OnlyFans is that? The one where you teach people how to be the best door-to-door salespeople they possibly can. Oh, that kind of, the best kind of OnlyFans. Exactly. Um. Yeah, so sales coaching um, started off with many years of in-home sales experience. Um, what were you selling in homes? So my first in-home sales job was I was 16 and I got a job at LeafGuard Northwest, the gutter company oh, yeah. that like does the covered gutters. Seen their commercials. Yep. Um, that was my first like official job. I've been hustling my own businesses since I was like seven, which we can dive into. But the 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 first actual like paid commission sales job was working for LeafGuard. And uh, I was the youngest person that ever worked there. You're not actually supposed to be 18, but I had like a family friend that was nice. like knew the guy that, that ran it and was like, hey, you need to give this guy a shot. And then I crushed it and was like, dang, there's something here. Um, so it started, that was kind of the main first gig outside of all the other business ops and stuff I started when I was younger. And then did in-home sales with gutters at first and then got into siding and windows and home improvement, like construction, because that's what I knew really well um, and absolutely crushed it with that. And then I had a few people that were asking like, hey, can you teach me what you're doing? And I was like, dude, I'm I'm pretty slammed. Like, I don't really want to take the time to like teach you for free how to do something that like I'm currently really busy doing and making a good amount of money. Uh, and then he was like, well, I'll pay you for your time. Like, I'll pay you to coach me. And then I was like, oh, well, that's an idea. Like, <laughs> I didn't even put two and two together. Like, I don't want to, I was just like, oh, I, I don't want to take the time to do that for free for someone. And he's like, well, how about if I like pay you to teach me? And I was like, all right, well, what do you think would be fair? And he came up with like, how about like 2,500 bucks for three months? And we kind of just see what happens. I was like, yeah, works great. Um, and that was the first coaching client I had, which within 60 days, he doubled his income no, sorry, doubled his closing percent and tripled his income. In 60 days. In 60 days. Um, and so I realized then I was like, shit, I think there's something here. Like, this is uh, this is awesome. Like, And then I was like, okay, well, is it one off or can I actually repeat this? Right, right. Did I just get really lucky? Did with you this? just give him some placebo? Well, yeah, this and- one guy. And yeah. he's like, oh, I can do it. No. And, and so I was like, well, let me try it. You know, let me see what happens. And I went out to... Back, I was just working at the same company, actually doing roofing sales at that time. And another one of the guys that worked there was like, hey, I see you're helping this guy. He just absolutely rose to the top. Can you teach me? And I was like, yeah, but my price went up. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, so now I'm four grand for for three months. Um, and he, same thing, like I think he was 45 or 50 days and he had doubled his closing percent and doubled his income. So he went from like 18 or 19%, which was pretty low. Um, well, Average industry is like 30-ish, mm-hmm. depending on the industry, um, but went from like 18, 19% to over 35% and like I said, doubled his income. And I was like, well, there's something here. And then I started looking at kind of branching out and doing that on, on a bigger scale, which is what I'm in the process of doing now. 
Okay. What what does that mean when you say on a bigger scale? Like, what's the vision for this? Yeah. So I'm I'm uh, almost done with my book, uh, which is the first iteration of a few different things that are coming out. But this will be like a a free ebook, um, probably twenty to thirty ish pages, just like a couple of my. We call them secret hacks, but most people know it's just things to be reminded of mm-hmm. um, and put into practice. Once that's finished out, which is going to be available um, for download, then I'm going to be releasing my sales training course. And so it'll be a fully immersive, like in-depth uh, video course where you can go on and they'll be kind of like on a platform system, like you've seen with some of them, mm-hmm. um, where they'll be able to learn basically from A to Z with a little bit of preface and kind of post work of as far as like not just closing techniques because that's helpful but the the biggest thing i've learned in all of my industry experience is if you're if you're good with building trust with people and you can learn how to do that like effectively and efficiently in a short amount of time uh, the the trust factor is there and then they don't question so much of like the product or the system or all the other stuff like if they trust you like if you were like hey you should get this thing like i trust you definitely like, completely so i'd be like yeah done. I'll just get it. I won't even question. I'll take advantage of that. Okay. Good to know. Um, And so with a stranger, it's like, there's obviously a little bit more of a barrier there because you've never met them, but you can still build genuine, honest rapport in a short amount of time and earn their trust and respect. And then you're kind of leading them in the decision-making process. So a bit of a tangent, but the, the course will teach kind of everything from how to wake up and operate like the mindset part, which is super important, the energy, how you're showing up, how you're treating your body. Like, are you working out regularly? Mm-hmm. Are you doing any kind of meditation or breath work? Are you stretching or doing yoga? Things that put you in an energetic space where people are going to be like attracted to you or interested in what you have to say because you don't feel and look like a total slob. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, it's like the the how to show up to the appointment, what to do, how to set the expectation or kind of the preface of what's actually going to happen um, and then moving through into the presentation and then closing, which so many people I feel like focus so much on like all these closing techniques and like all mm-hmm. the, the right things to say at the end to get them to buy. And it's like that feels really salesy to me. Right. And very sales push- rebuttals on objections. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like that's partly what gives the sales guys the bad notion of like, oh, like sales guys are sleazy or whatever. Because mm-hmm. like those sales guys are super sleazy when you do it that way. <clears throat> but when you build good rapport and trust with people right out of the gate and you can continue building on that and you guys are laughing and like talking about stuff that's not the thing you're there to sell and you're off topic in a sense that they're interested in wanting to talk about that stuff. What happens is this awesome relationship gets built. They begin to trust you. And then you don't need a bunch of like specific hardcore closes. Like you can just ask for the business. And if they aren't ready, they'll actually give you the real objection. Mm -hmm. And then since the real objection is on the table, you can work with them and help them through that process. And you're not always going to get everyone. Obviously that's sales, but you can increase your odds by like at least 100% if you just implement trust building and mm-hmm. asking the right questions through the process. Yeah. There's a, a a mentor of mine that I think he coined the term the post-trust era. And we're in this day and age mm. now where, like you said, salespeople have been sleazy for so long that now that's kind of what is attached to the idea of sales. Yeah. And you think of like a used car salesman is just selling you a hunk of junk for way too much money. And so people are very skeptical about what they buy now and they have access to the internet. So 
there's a lot of objections around, well, I need to go do my research first, where mm-hmm. probably back in the day, that wasn't as as common because people trusted the salesperson as an advisor. Yeah. So I want to dive more into that with you about what you're doing to increase this um, KLT, the no like trust factor, mm. right? Like what are you doing to help people ease into being relaxed working with you and why they should work with you? But before we dive into that, I think we should give a little backstory as to how we know each other. Okay. Uh, Cause I feel really <laughs> grateful to be at this table with like two of my best friends and we were just recording a podcast together. That's freaking awesome. Three fun guys. <laughs> <laughs> Three fun guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you and I have known each other for how many like years? 12 years, I think now. Yeah. 13. Just we, were, we were, I was 18. So that was, that was 13 years ago. Yeah. Crazy. Almost half our life. And how, <laughs> if you're bad at math, <laughs> which I am. <laughs> so how, how did we, uh, how did we become friends, Joel? Uh, so my brother threw, was a DJ and did events and a friend of his who had a very large house, um, kind of, kind of in the woods, but not totally because <laughs> not all the way what the ended up happening. Uh, he asked my brother to throw a party and he was like, I want it to be like good, intimate, like not small, but like not insane. Uh, and you know, my brother, he, he doesn't know how to do stuff small. Like there's no, there's no go big ground. or it's stay home. Yeah. And like he went big. And so it started off as like a hundred people. And then it was like 200 people. And then people started inviting people. And then my brother's friend found an ad on Facebook and on Craigslist that had the address posted, said party, this address, $5 entry, whatever. And immediately started freaking out and was like, we got to, dude, this has to stop. Like, we got to take this down. So he was able to get the Facebook and the Craigslist taken down, but they were already up for like a day or two. So like, long story short, there was like a thousand plus people at this house party and the cops came three different times. The third time they shut it down basically because the people were like parking on the main road and it's like a two lane road with no shoulder. And no bullshit, they would just stop their car and just get out and walk to the party, like in the road, like just like hundreds of cars in there. Like there was nowhere for you couldn't drive. You do what you got to do to party. Apparently. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we were the last two men standing. It was we watched the sun come up and we sat on the porch. We were like, yeah, this was this was a good one. Just a sea of people sleeping around (laughs) us. Sticky. Passed out. Floors. Sticky floor. And your shoes would like stick from all the alcohol. (laughs) And so I think at that point we realized, yeah, we're going to be friends. Yeah. Um, And we were just talking and BSing, and then it kind of all started from there. And then it's funny that we both ended up in sales. We both like deviated away and like did other things and then came back together. And you actually got me back into sales because I I mm. was done with sales. I was kind of over it. You were burnt out. I was burnt out with it. And then you got me connected to like the sales sniper guys. And then I dove back into it. So I'm very grateful for you, like reintroducing me into that world. I was like, see, sales can life. be fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can make money. And you can you make money. You don't have to be broke and miserable. Yeah. And people hate you. Like, which I was. <laughs> and people hated me. Yeah. And which they did. <laughs> yeah. Still do to this day. <laughs> I do. But I'm not broke. So that's true. No, I'm still pretty broke. Well, we're working on that. Whatever. In time. On the way up, baby. On the way up, baby. So yeah. So I'm very grateful for you for that. And now you have a book coming out. You have coaching. You have an entire coaching business teaching people how to increase their their likelihood of making more money in sales, especially in door-to-door. And one thing I don't know a lot about is door-to-door. Like most of the sales I do sometimes is face-to-face, but a lot of it is 
online, over Zoom, over the phone. Like that's the kind of stuff I specialized in. And we have these two different specialties. So I'm excited to learn more from you about like your style of face-to-face interaction, being in, in the physical presence of somebody and how to get them to want to open up to you yeah. at that point. So what are some of the like top tips that you have, I guess, maybe from your book, if you want to share a little bit about it on increasing that, um, like your authority and your like your likeness in front of someone. I think before though, is did he already lay out some of his top sales numbers and some of the stuff you've achieved? No, not at all. Yeah, let's lay that out okay. so we're like- People know what's why, up. Why listen to this guy, yeah, right? Makes let's, sense. Let's, yeah, why listen let's, to this green-shirted fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but like, I want to hear like your successes. Yeah. And then let's lay out the how. Cool. So the, I'll, I'll give a very brief uh, story, backstory, or like timeline, basically. Um, I was seven, six and a half or seven years old. I wanted a really dope mountain bike. It was like, I think, 1400 bucks. And- I asked my parents like any six-year-old kid would do like when they want something. And my mom was like, that's a really nice bike, but I'm not just going to buy that for you. Like I want you to understand the value of working towards a goal and then owning the thing that you work towards and appreciating it and respecting it when you do own it. And I'm like one of the best lessons any parent could ever teach a kid. And I'm so thankful my parents taught me that because she said, I won't buy it for you, but I'll match you. So that told me like, she's like, if you make 700, I'll put 700 and then you can get the bike. Mm -hmm. And I went to my godfather's house who had a fruit farm in Eastern Washington. And I was like, Hey, I want to make, uh, I need to make 700 bucks. Like I want to make, I didn't say that. I said, I need to make some money. I want to buy a bike. Like, what can I do to make money? He's like, well, you could go pick fruit. And I was like, okay, well, let me do that. And I went out for like, I think four hours or so and picked whatever, how many boxes of fruit and came back. And I think I made like $12. And I look, I did the math. I'm Whopping like, 12 yeah. And I did the math and I'm like, I'm going to have to work all a whole year doing this every day to be able to meet my goal. Like, that's crazy. There's got to be a way to make money faster. And I asked him like, how could I make more money in less time? He's like, well, you could take some of this fruit back to Seattle where you live and like try and sell it there. And I bought three. Well, I think he gave me the first three boxes, maybe at like a super deal. Um, and my mom drove me back. She worked at a hospital and I pushed a little cart around the hospital because she worked night shift and I gave free samples. This was 24 years ago at this point. So like the rules were different law, like the, like the safety regulations and stuff. There was less of now them. you can't just have a kid with a knife walking around a hospital. Yeah, <laughs> handing out free samples of fruit to all the patients and all yeah. the doctors. So like I'd go to every ward, every room. super safe. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Every room. And I'd be like, Hey, would you like a free sample of fruits? The best fruit you ever had. And they're like, Oh, that, you know, cute kid, whatever. Sure. And then they try it and they're like, wow, this is really good. And I sold out in like two hours. I sold all three boxes. I made like 150 or 160 bucks or something. Sweet. And, like okay. three, and I was like, I just made 20 times more money in a quarter of the time. Like whatever the math was on that. Not good at math. Don't, don't quote. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that sparked the whole thing of like, I need to start a business. Like this needs to be a thing because I started seeing the numbers as any like salesperson does and goes, holy shit, I could make a lot doing this. Um, and that's, that was the start of that. And like every few days, my mom would drive me over there. We'd go back to the hospital. I push the cart around and I'd make like 300 to 750 bucks at night. Some of the nights as like an eight year old kid. I wish my parents taught me about investing so bad because the amount of money that I would be sitting on. Right. But what did you blow it all out? Illusions was, uh, it was this, uh, magic. No, Matt. Well, kind of, it's like a arcade place. 
But it, oh. it, it was in Issaquah. It was like this really fancy arcade place that had a bunch of like the ticket games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would just go in there with like hundreds of dollars and just blow it on games, get tickets and get like a, you know, candy that I'd pay like $200 for a lollipop shit. Um, so that was, the, that was the start of all of it. And I, I realized at that point there was so much money to be made in offering a service or a product that you could sell – you could buy at a certain price and sell at a profit um, because you're not just trading time for money anymore. You're not working somewhere. And, and I, I don't want to tangent too far because I do want to answer your question, but I feel like the back, you're answering the back story is super yeah, you're important. Answering. Um, and I started that at age seven and every year I got a little bit bigger. I do like, by the time I was nine, I had a, I was doing the farmer's markets. I hired a person that would go to the farmers. I'd go drop off all the fruit, get them set up. It's like, you know, 30 year old adult. And I'm like eight years old with my mom, like, Hey, do this, do this, put this on the scale. Like this is how much it costs. <laughs> and so I was like starting a whole business. Um, and I did that for all the way up until I was like 16. And I, I mean, it was good, but it was still like limited because I couldn't get into any major grocery stores or any big chains. And so it was all like CSA delivery. Um, And so I wanted to make more money doing other things naturally. And I think I was 11 or 12. I did. I started a glass fusing studio. So I I took a bunch of my fruit money, probably like eight grand, seven, eight grand of fruit money, built, bought a kiln, all the stuff. And my my dad helped me build out the room in the basement. I had like a whole glass studio. And I did fuse glass art for probably three years and taught classes at a local art studio. Um, and at the school, we go to a little elementary school and do projects and then like bake the glass and bring it back. Um, and that was a decent opportunity. It made some money, but I realized that was more like the artistic side of me trying to have expression. And it wasn't really a great business model because like I, I'm not Chihuly. I can't sell a piece for like 300 grand at least then when at 14. I wasn't like a child prodigy. I was just a kid that had a business. Um and so I got into like pressure washing. I ran a pressure washing company for a few years, had a whole bunch of other businesses that were great ideas. Uh, I was in a llama and alpaca 4-H club for like when I was like- a what? Llama and alpaca 4-H. What's 4-H? 4-H is like, a, it, I don't know, I should know what it stands for, but it's it's like kids and adults, but mostly like youth go in and it's a program where you like work with other kids and adults on a- certain kind of project like it could be pigs or llamas or sheep or uh, whatever like a farm animal or other things and you like raise the animal care for the animal like learn like we we learned how to cut shear them and then cart the wool and turn it into like yarn and make like hats and stuff Mm -hmm. i was like oh i can make money selling these hats then i realized the amount of time it would take to make a fucking hat i'd have to sell a hat for like a thousand dollars to make it make sense um and I, so when I was doing that llama and alpaca thing, I was like, well, I can make money from this somehow at like 13. And I started looking at llama poop is a really good garden fertilizer. And we had lots of llama poop. So I became built, a poop salesman. I did. So I sold shit. I literally sold shit, llama shit and alpaca shit. But we, I'd made a table. We dried out. I bought a food processor from Goodwill for like five bucks, blended it up, put it in little brown paper lunch bags and sold it for like six bucks each or two for 10 at the uh, like places we would go, just always trying to figure out a way, you know? Um, How much money did you make selling shit? Probably a couple thousand bucks. Sweet. In the, over a at, summer. At, what, 13? Yeah. Like, that's that's amazing. That's <laughs> fucking amazing. Yeah. Do you think for some salespeople, like there needs to be an inherent curiosity to make money or can that be developed? Because I, I wasn't I think, doing that at 13. I think it can be developed. I think I just had a really outrageously weird drive that pushed me 
to do so much stuff when I was younger. But you can cultivate it, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, so this can be cultivated. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's like if you have a goal, right? Because I was six and I wanted a nice bike. So like you could be 30 and want a nice house and use that as your goal to work towards the thing. Um, So that was the really not so short answer version of your question. To finish answering it, as far as like total sales numbers go in the in the sales space, in-home sales, I've probably closed somewhere around the $15 million mark um, wow. in sales between roofing, siding, windows, gutters, and um, a little bit of flooring that I, that really doesn't count. But yeah, mostly home improvements. I've probably done somewhere between 14 and 15 million in sales. Wow. What uh, would you say was like one of your best years? 2019. 18 or 19, um, I sold 3.4 million in roofing and made 310 grand in commission. Yeah. Clip it. Clip it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was the best year. Um, and I've had other awesome years, but I feel like that one, I just grinded my ass off for like six or seven days a week because I wanted to make a lot of money and then did and then realized, wow, I could do this so much easier. Like I don't have to work 70, 80 hours a week mm-hmm. driving. I drove, I, I, I made 310 grand. I sold 3.6 million, but I also drove 115,000 miles in a year. So that's like almost 10,000 miles a month. Wow. Like that's 2,500 miles a week. That's like driving from here to fucking Seattle every week. Like that, that wow. was a lot of, so I was burnt out. I was just sick of it. That's but, Brent's nightmare. <laughs> he hates driving. Yeah. Unless I can go fast and straight, no traffic, it's yep. okay. But I couldn't, yeah. He doesn't do well with curbs. No, yeah. yeah. As soon as we turn, <laughs> I'm frustrated. Yeah. <laughs> so how much of that, you know, you were the top rep, top sales rep at that company <laughs> yeah. by a long shot. They had to change the rules twice for the employee of the month or salesman of the month because at first it was based on volume. Uh-huh. And I every month, like everybody was closing like 150, 200 grand in sales that month. And I'm at like 400, 350, 400. And they're like, well, we can't just have it be volume anymore because you'll just win every time. It, we need to give other people a chance. I'm like, oh, okay. So, you? We, so we changed the rules to make it more fair because the top guy is producing. It doesn't make any sense. It's like having like a all-star soccer player and you're like, well, you're, you've been all-star for this, a while When now. this person scores a point, they actually get two points because yeah. Yeah. they're not yeah, very good. Literally. They give them the handicap because you're happened. better. So they based, they changed it to be based off of sales closing percent, cancellation percent, and something else, like your net to gross ratio. And one guy won the next month. And then for three more months in a row, I won again. And so they changed the fucking rules again. So <laughs> twice, twice they changed like, the rules. Oh, so the rule is you, you just can't be named Joel. Yeah, basically. Yeah, anybody but Joel. They're like, all right, and sales center of the month is no Joel, sit back down. Yeah, like, it, it can't be Joel. Yeah. You know I can't be you. So I didn't mean tangent. I just, that's why I laughed. Because I was like, yeah, I was the top producer. And then they kept changing the rules so that I like wouldn't be salesman of the month. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so <laughs> that's hilarious. You kept crushing it. Obviously, you were the top, whether they changed the rules or not, like you were performing the highest. Uh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> how much of that is just grinding work ethic? And like, do you feel like you just worked so much harder than them? And how much of that was skill set and training and maybe being better at the position? Oh God, that's a great question. I mean, I had the drive and the grind, 
but I didn't run that many more leads than most other guys. Like I would ask the team, I'd be like, hey, if you have a Saturday appointment that you want run and you want closed, I'll take it. Or if like, if you have another appointment, because I usually run two appointments a day. I'm like, if you guys have a third and you can stack me on one of those days, I'll take it. And I did some of that, but I feel like it was the, my closing percentage was just like outperformed everybody because I built rapport and trust with people. And I was there to like, so many people, salespeople come in and in their head, not only are they all in their head and not at all in their heart, but they're all thinking about how do I get this deal closed? The money, they just see dollar signs. They see people as money and dollar signs. And no matter who you are, whether you're like super spiritual and meditate every day, or you're like super hardcore on the other end, energy is real. And you feel people's energy. Like, you know, you get a bad vibe from someone. You're like, oh, I didn't like that guy. Your gut. Yeah, your gut instinct. Exactly. That spidey sense. And so like, if you show up with thinking about how am I going to make money? Like, what, wh how am I going to close them? Oh my God, what a big roof. Like, this is going to be a huge commission. And you're thinking about that. Your focus is on you and on the money. And your focus and attention and energy is not on them. And they feel this weird vibe. They're like, I don't, you know, and so most of the time people won't get the sale, even if they're awesome at product knowledge, awesome at the company stuff, awesome at the presentation. If they don't have that genuine connection and rapport, people will not buy. Or if they do, they'll cancel or they just don't buy very often. Um, so I would say it was more so the, the connection piece. And with that comes with the rapport building and like the the likeness like like you had said as far as when i show up my focus is 100% i'm here to do the absolute best job i can to help this person with whatever is going on in their life in the sense of what i'm there for like with roofing so i'm going to do the best inspection they've ever had i'm going to give them the most awesome presentation in the sense of like not a three hour presentation, but it's going to be custom tailored to them. Mm -hmm. um, and through that, they're going to see that and like my goal is to help. And I would tell everyone when I show up, I'm like, hey, I don't care whether you get a roof from me or not. Like I does literally doesn't matter. I'm busy and we're flying. So like, I just want you to know, I don't care what you do either way. I'm here to just give you all the information and give you a great education. And then if you're interested, help you make the best decision. Um, but that's all that I'm here to do is just to, like to provide information and give you an education and answer questions. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, I'm there to close the fucking deal. That's like, no, nah, we caught him. But yeah, but, <laughs> but, but the intention I'm showing up with and the energy I'm operating from is I'm here to serve mm -hmm. rather than I'm here to take. And when you're there to serve, people feel that and they're genuinely interested. People are leaning in. They're asking more questions. They don't they're not closed off. Like you get people that are, they are just way more open to you. And when somebody is more open, it's so much easier to make a sale because you're not selling them. You're just like helping them do the best thing for them. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You completely detach yourself from the outcome of yeah. needing the sale. Yeah. So for people that are maybe newer to sales or maybe they've been in sales for a long time, but they're struggling, maybe they're not making that much money it can be difficult to separate from the money because mm. you need the money mm -hmm. to not be broke. Yeah. To feed so, yourself and your family. <laughs> yeah. You got, you know, you're thinking about your kids, you're thinking about your wife and it's kind of that weird catch 22 yeah. where you have to detach to then make the sale. Yeah. But you're always thinking about what you have to do to make the sale. Especially when you're first starting out. And yeah. You, had not, you don't have any money. Yeah. And you're like, 
fuck you're trying to not to have desperate vibes <laughs> you're totally you're just you're shaking like, <laughs> like literally I please i literally I, need I to don't have fucking to. make this oh, fail dude, i mean there's been many not many there's been a few times when i was earlier in my career where i ran out of gas either on the way to the appointment or on the way from the appointment one time i <laughs> i left the guy's house i closed the deal left the guy's house and i pulled about 30 feet from his house and it was a long hill up to get to the road, like his driveway was super long. I got probably 30 feet up his driveway. My fucking car ran out of gas. Damn. And I just started rolling back. <laughs> and I put, you know, I stopped the car and he, and he came out. He's like, what's up, man? What's going on? And I was like, this is so embarrassing, man. I'm, I ran out of gas, bro. And he's like, oh, dude, don't worry. He's like, I got you. And he like went, grabbed a five gallon can, filled me up. Bought the bought the roof and film got some gas in my car and sent me on my oh. way. And I will say, man, there's something to be said about karma. I've always been a big believer in like you reap what you sow tenfold, mm -hmm. always. Like, and it's not to do good things so that good things come back to you. It's to do good things because it's the right thing to do. Like, if you have a skill set or an ability, like for myself, I used to be a mechanic or work on cars growing up. I always loved wrenching on stuff and making stuff fast. But like, if I see somebody on the side of the freeway and they've got like a flat tire or something is up with their car and I can like visually potentially see or I'm going slow enough, I'll, not always depending on the situation, but often I'll stop and I'll be like, hey man, you need any tools, you need anything? And like for me, I have tools, I have a, a impact gun and a, a floor jack. And so like what would take somebody 35, 45 minutes or an hour to change a tire that they've never done before and they have to figure it out, I can literally do in like five minutes and they're back on the road. And so I bring that up because it's like, if you have a skill set that's, really valuable or able to help somebody in a massive way. And it takes like very little, if any skin off your back and it gives a massive benefit or impact to them. Do that anywhere and everywhere that you can within reason, still serving yourself first, of course, so that you can like lighten people's lives. And, and that's such a small thing, but I feel like such a big believer in karma because there's been so many times where like, especially when I was younger and like I'd run out of gas on the way to an appointment and like I'd run out of gas, I'd pull over because my car was dying. And as I was pulling over, a car or truck would pull up behind me mm. and they'd be like, hey man, you need gas? I was like, what the fuck? Like, how do you, what? Like, I, how did you? And he's like, oh, I just had a feeling. So it's like things like that, that happened that I'm like, damn, karma's super real. Would you call that Botswana? That's so Botswana. That's Botswana That is right pure there. Botswana energy. Pure yeah, bliss. it is. Pure Botswana bliss. Yeah, it is Botswana bliss, baby. Yeah, yeah you're 100% right. And how did you come to those realizations? Like what, what was this, like, was there a moment where you realized that the energy you put out in the world is what you get back or, or I don't know, were you yeah. inherently like understanding of that? Uh, I, two sides. One, my mom always told me when I was little, like you reap what you sow tenfold. She would tell me that like three or four times a week. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, mom. Like I'm five years old or like, yeah, whatever, mom, I'm 10, like whatever. And, and then by the time I was like 12 or 13, I started seeing things that were happening, like people would steal stuff from me because I was like really giving or really open, like had a huge heart. And also I gave past my, beyond my extent because I was looking for my worth in giving before I found my worth within myself. Um, so there's a lesson there. But like I would do something super nice for someone, they would screw me over and take advantage of me. And she's like, don't worry, like you reap what you sow tenfold, just stay on the right path. Don't do something stupid, like don't get in trouble, don't do anything bad to them, like just do the right thing. So there was that kind of 
re like the affirmations that were coming in regularly. And then there was this very specific moment. I remember clearly I was 14. I was selling firewood. Oh, it was another business I ran. I, uh, I was, I think 13 when It'd I started. It'd probably be that. a shorter list if you tell us the businesses you haven't had. <laughs> probably. Um, yeah, probably. And I, I, uh, I had a setup with tree companies where they would deliver rounds to me. I'd split it all by hand, stack it, and then let it dry and sell it in the middle of winter when it was like really cold and people needed wood because everybody waits till it gets really cold. And then they're like, oh, shit, we need firewood. And that's when everybody's prices are up because obviously supply and demand. Um, and I, I, was, I was doing that. And I remember, I don't know exactly like the situation as far as like what my need was, but there was something that came up and I needed like $500 and I needed it like right now to take care of something or I don't remember exactly, but I do remember what happened. I was like, all right, God, universe, whatever like is out there. If this whole karma thing that my mom talks about is real, show me because I need $500 and I'm like giving it up to, to you, whoever's out there, whatever. And within two or three minutes, my phone rings because I had ads on Craigslist to sell firewood and a lady calls and she's like, hi, is this Joel? I'm like, yeah, this is Joel. She goes, hi, Joel. My name's Karma and I'd like to buy two cords of your firewood. No way. Yeah. I, honest to God, dude. Honest. I, crazy. And I, crazy. I just started with, it was like minutes and then Karma. Literal like, Karma. I said, is your name actually Karma? And she said, yeah, why? And I was, and then I told her what I just did. And she's like, yeah, I had a feeling I was supposed to call you. And so like that moment was like concrete, do the right yeah. thing. Karma is real. I just you, got goosebumps. You will like reap what you sow. Like so that was like 13, four, I was 14. I'm like, damn, okay, take the high road. You know, not that we always do every single time, but like do your best to be the best version of you that you can be because that shit is so real. It was so clear. I was like, all right, no more questions. I fully believe. <laughs> like, oh, you want to test me? Oh, watch this, watch this. <laughs> Karma, call this guy. Have you ever kept in contact with Karma? No, I didn't even save her number. I should have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was Karma four, and speed you know, I was 14. Like we didn't even have caller ID. It was a home phone. Oh, I didn't true. even have cell phones. Yeah. I that back then, that was before that was when MapQuest was still around. There was no GPS. Print out maps. Yeah. And so I would tell people how to get to my house. This generation would never understand. No, not at all. Absolutely not. And I'd be like, oh yeah, you get off. Half the time the maps were wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You go 0. 0.2 miles and it's like, it's actually 20 miles. Yeah. Two point. Like, well, that street yeah. that told me to turn on just doesn't exist. So what yeah. to do here. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I would tell people how to get to the house and they'd be like, wow, you like really know, like you're like, you got this down. I'm like, well, it's pretty easy. But yeah, I forgot. I remember that. I thought I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, holy shit, MapQuest was a thing. Like. You couldn't just like pull out your phone and be like, hey, Siri, navigate to Chipotle. And it just yeah. like tells you where to go. Yeah. Look what up closest food. Food near me. <laughs> yeah. Going on road trips with your mom or something. You're like, you're in charge of the map. Oh my God. You got to draw on it with a pencil. Oh, I love my dad so much, but he is so old school. So he's born in 1950. He was in the army for like 25 years. And he, Damn. to this day, has his like atlas, his like road atlas. Bro, it's like this fucking big. Oh, I remember those It's things. like huge and it has all the pages of like America. And so when yeah, they came out to see us in Ohio, he had like planned the trip out on his map, on his atlas. And he's like trying to tell me what roads they're taking and what it's by. And I'm like zooming in on my phone. I'm like, well, why don't you take this route? It would be. And he's like, well, I don't see that route. I'm like, well, what about if you went and like everywhere, even when they just went to Columbus, he's like, oh, I got a plan. I, he like had his atlas and he's like planning on the map That's where so they're going to go. And I was like, I forgot what 
that was even a thing. But I will say there's something really impressive about that because when we were driving through Columbus, which he's only been to one time, and he's he's like decent with directions but not great because he's studied that fucking map so many times. He's like, oh, we're on 270. And if right up here is going to be 71, we go north, we get to Bev's if we take like this street. And then if we go around, we stay on 270, it gets over here and we end up here. I'm like, what the fuck, dad? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know all that shit you gave me about that atlas? Oh, I know where I'm at. I'm like, damn, okay. It's true. So there's something to be said about that. Interesting. Yeah. It's like, have you ever seen the cabbies in the UK? Mm-mm. So professional cab drivers, it's actually like a pretty... Uh, prominent job, allegedly, because they have to study so much to become a cabbie. They literally know all the streets of London back to front. And their whole their whole test is to like, uh, they'll tell them, all right, you're at this address. You need to get to this address. You're not driving. You're sitting in a chair. And they're like, tell me the path. And they have to, in their mind, tell you exactly <laughs> what route they would drive That's and savage. like what turns they're taking and, and where they go. And they can't mess it up. Wow. So cabbies know- the streets of London so well. They have to like dream, they like dream the, the, the pathways. Wild. Yeah. It's impressive. So your dad could be a good cabbie. Yeah. Quick water break. Yeah. I need a sip. Yeah. Brent, what's new with you? Well, he's, well, he's sipping water. Just, you know, building Amazon stores. Nothing. I got nothing. Great. (laughs) I got nothing. Success. Just keeping on, keeping on, baby. Just yeah, keeping just on, keep keeping on, on. on. Yeah, dude. Silence is okay on podcasts. We'll let ah. people like chill for a second. So like when you we were- We're having a moment of silence, Brent. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought he was just saying that because oh. he didn't know what to ask. No, I was about to. I thought you were about to. <laughs> I thought you were just trying to buy time. I was. Like, but I got I, a question. I was. De- <laughs> I didn't have anything to say, but now I have to defend the fact and that, that it was you silence. were wrong. Yeah. Because yeah. you're not. Yeah. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> all right. Let's. All right. Let's. Moment of silence. No, it's over. Go ahead. Ask your question. Did you have a question? I thought you were going to say in a moment of silence, we play Slackjaw. Slackjaw. I could go on forever. Uh-huh. All right, I'm done. Damn it. <laughs> I don't want the next 20 minutes of our podcast. That's how we use it's it. It's pretty it's funny. Just like a 10-minute clip of just do they, that. Does the, do they know Slackjaw? I feel like you should quickly should tell them. Preface. Tell Mike and Grant about yeah. Slack. Oh, you mean that our, our listener? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know. You don't know about Slackjaw? What? Oh, is it just he's stare not at each friend. other until you're- you're not my real friend. Mouth. <laughs> so this is Slackjaw. You look at somebody. Yeah. And I don't know where this game came from, but we've been playing this for years. <laughs> yeah. You look at somebody, you say Slackjaw, and then you both have to look at each other with a slacked jaw like this. Yeah. And then the first one to laugh or, or smile, smile at all loses. But where the lip, oh. the lips start to come Just up on anything. the side. Yeah. yeah, any smirk, any glimmer of a of a smile. Yeah. So you can you can blank. It's not a staring contest. It's just no smiling, no laughing. Yeah. And if you do this in public, it is the most embarrassing game. Because people world. think you're crazy. And yeah. then also whoever like somebody will lead, you'll do something like with your hand or your arm. The other person has to copy. Yeah. Oh. So like, kind of mirror each other. So the, basically you're you're trying to bait the other person to get them to do something or something with your body where they'll laugh. Yeah. And then once they laugh, you win. That's pretty mm-hmm. funny. Yeah. I like Tony that. was the all-time, all-time champion and then my fiance stole the belt from him. Really? Yeah. Don't even talk to me about that. <laughs> I mean, we could bring up the other thing. I'm bitter. What's the other thing? Oh, where you like had an Olympic, you know, there was Olympics and. Oh, we don't need to talk about the fucking <laughs> Olympics, dude. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm bitter about that yeah, too. Yeah, I understand. I'm super bitter. They took that gold medal right from under my. You had it. Bag. It was in the bag. And then you just, yep. It's all right. We'll tell them. Fuck it. This was the Whippet Olympics. <laughs> yeah, you got to tell them. I got to tell them. It can't, keep, oh, secrets. It can't no. keep secrets. This is, the is, this is a plan in progress for, I think, over a year. 
Because you started talking about Whippet Olympics at the first Secret Dreams. I did? Yeah. You're like, we I blacked should... out. I don't remember. <laughs> like, we should do... Uh, you, I mean, you tell it. It's your I don't, story. I don't black out, by the way, people. Um, Whippet Olympics is basically exactly what it sounds like. You have a series of Olympic events that you need is to compete in. this the video you showed me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you and then, yeah, but yeah, every... Yeah. at the end. Oh, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> Not but, in the video, but in person. <laughs> really? Yeah. But before every feat, you have to do Whippets. So explain, you got to explain what whippets are to everybody. Cause there's going to be a lot of whippets. Is, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in, introduce the new all right, folks. All right. For the kids tell you, I teach you all about whippets. It's, it's basically nitrous oxide. Mm. Do not do this at home. Kids. This, we're professionals. Two fun guys. You're, who are, you're, you are a professional. I'm a professional. I won't put that evil on you, Ricky yeah, Bobby. No. It's basically you do whippets. Olympic medals. You yeah. Do, I, well, almost. Yeah. Oh, don't. Yeah. We're getting to that. When you go to the dentist, you do a whippet. They give you nitrous oxide and make just like makes you pass out, makes your head all woozy. It's a good time. But you can also just do way too much of it and then it feels silly in your brain. So <laughs> so that's what a whippet is. Yeah. And then the Whippet Olympics. And the Whippet Olympics is you you take the whippets and then you compete in long jump. Various attacks. So <laughs> yeah. I think theirs was 20 push-ups and then a sprint. Uh, a, a, a sprint down and back. Around a pile of trash. Around a pile of trash. You had to pick up a piece of trash. You had to bring trash back. Yep. And he, for this first, the first Secret Dreams Festival we went to, he was like, oh, we got to do this thing. I got this idea. We got to do it. But then like, it didn't really, was never serious. And then the last one we went to, he was fucking gung-ho on making this happen. He's like, we are doing, before I leave here, we will complete a wimp at Olympics. Well, the reason we we did that is because there were five people named Anthony. Oh, that's that right. They were all like camped very <laughs> all with it. It was the circle of Anthony. And it all started with like, we got to find the best Anthony. Like we have to either fight to the death or team up and become mega Anthony. And I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to team up with him. So we're like, we got to, we got to fight to the death or we compete in the Whip at Olympics to find the number one Anthony. Yep. So that's that's how it started. And he was convinced he was going to win the Olympic Olympics. I mean, he was also the creator, founder, yep. originator, CEO, and chairman. Brainchild behind. Yeah, that's yeah. also, yeah. Uh, but they did the whippets. The other guy did 21 push-ups. Let's just note that this was all after the fact, okay? In the moment... <laughs> We're doing our push-ups. I undercounted my push-ups and I accidentally did 19, okay? Because you're supposed to do 20 push-ups and then then run around the track. The other Anthony did, what, 23 push-ups? 22 or 23. He overshot. Yeah, of course he did. Yeah. He's Anthony. That's what they normally do. That's what we do, do. yeah. (laughs) I still would have won if we both did the same amount of push-ups. But I got disqualified for only doing 19 push-ups. Yep. So he was officially DQ'd from his own Olympics. Damn. It's horseshit. And that's bit, I mean, that makes sense. So, you know. 2024 is my comeback. Yeah, it is. Yeah. You're going to be tree training all year. (laughs) Every every morning in the kitchen, he just hears. (laughs) 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 Got to do my (laughs) push-ups. Oh man! Nice so, times. Yeah, so that's a whip it, everybody. Yep. Yeah. Did, did you want to ask your fucking question, Brent? Did you want to ask your question, Brent? So it we, wouldn't be this podcast <laughs> if we didn't dive off somewhere down a rabbit hole about some sort of no, hundred yeah. percent. That's the that's the name oh, of the game, of the Fun Guys podcast. Uh, so your year when you were busting ass and making a shit ton of money. Were you still taking really good care of yourself or because in your course, you said, you know, taking care of yourself is one of the components to being good at sales. Did you kind of learn that through that process and then develop routines and habits that you now implemented or were they present during that? They were they were present during that because of my awesome fiance. So 
Dr. Victoria Gowdy, who's going to be on this podcast shortly. Um, Spoil it for everybody. Well, by the tease them on. Tease them. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's go. Cool. I was like, wait a minute, it's back to back and they're coming out for a while anyways. Come on now. Uh, so she's- Don't let people see behind the curtain. Yeah, obviously. that What curtain? Just boom. <laughs> Uh, she went to naturopathic medical school and became a naturopathic doctor out in Washington. And that's how we met. And I was already like fairly interested in health and like worked out, took care of myself. So I used to be really fat. Um, don't want to tangent too far, but like when I was 13, 14, I was like almost hundred pounds overweight and I was five foot two and I weighed like 230, probably close to 230, 235 Damn. at five, two. Yeah, that's tough. So like, I don't know where you are, but well, when I was overweight as a kid, I was two thirty, okay. but I was six one. Okay, yeah. What do you weigh now? Two fifty. Okay, so like, yeah, close, but a foot and and a <laughs> I was a big boy, round. Yeah, I was very round, and so I I dealt with a lot of bullying, a lot of like fucked up stuff that happens when you're fat and go to public school. Oh yeah, so. um, and started like trying to get healthy and eat a little bit healthier and like had a friend that introduced me to like, let's go for a walk together and like, let's ride a bike together. And then like, let's eat a little healthier and showed me like different ways to eat healthier. And I started losing weight and I got from like 220 or 230 down to probably like 190. So I probably lost like 35, 40 pounds the healthy way. Um, and then by the time I was 16, I got addicted. I found meth. I got addicted to methamphetamine for like a year. That'll get the rest off. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, going from being a really fat kid, when you get so skinny that you're like skin and bones, real, yeah. you're like, you're like skin and bones. You're like all your ribs are. So I was 137, I think pounds, 138 whoa, pounds. Whoa. And how, how much time? Um, Like from the, so 230 to like, or 220. From meth to meth. The, the, Oh, like how long did I drop that weight? In the, yes, yes like, uh, like nine months, I dropped like 65 pounds. This episode brought to you by America's newest weight loss tool, <laughs> methamphetamines. <laughs> oh God, no, dude, it ruined. I mean, it. I feel like it steals your soul, like meth and heroin are drugs that like steal your soul. Like I was a really good person. I loved everyone. I was like super kind. I'd never do anything, very rarely would do anything wrong. I'd like never steal. And I was like stealing from my family and like, breaking into houses and just like shit that I would never normally do. Um, but I got away from it by going to working on a fishing boat and getting clean. And then on my way home, I met, I picked up a couple hitchhikers uh, that were trying to get back to Washington and I was, I drove them back and then they were like, Hey, you want to come in for a second and like have a drink? I was like, yeah, sure. And I'd been clean for like five or six months at that point, probably four or five months at that point. And I went in and there was like a bunch of people smoking meth and I was like, Oh, I need to leave. And like my first brain reaction was like, get the fuck out of here. And then the next thing was like, meh. And then I took a hit uh, and then relapsed and then was addicted again for like five or six months. But I, I wanted to share that story because going from being really, really fat as a kid and being bullied to then being like so skinny, it's like drug skinny. You see, there's plenty of people around Emaciated here. Emaciated skinny. Yeah, yeah, bad. And like in my mind, because I thought I'd been so fat. I looked, I thought I looked amazing. I was like, oh my God, I look so good. Like I'm finally skinny. Like I finally don't have all that fat, but I looked like fucking shit. Um, dog shit. <laughs> and, and then I started realizing, so I, like I got clean by the time I was like uh, just over 18. I got clean, been clean ever since, which is fucking awesome. Hell but yeah. thank you. And like, and I, I don't even like, there's not an addiction for it. Like it was a different part of my life that I disassociated, disassociated with. But I wanted to bring that up because it's like when you go from being really fat and you have this image of like, I'm just a fat piece of shit to then getting like really skinny and being like, 
oh, I look great, but everybody's telling you like, bro, you need to stop doing drugs and you need to eat something because you like, I can see all your bones in your face. Mm. You're like, oh, I look great. Like it's that, it's that dysmorphia, that body dysmorphia image of like where you think you should look like and the image you see yourself as and that how that's totally different than what people actually see usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at like 18, 19, I'm like, damn, I need to start taking better care of myself. Um, and I started like learning how to eat healthy and get clean, like do working out, all that, get into fitness. And then I met Victoria and then she kind of furthered that journey with all the natural foods and like more than I was already doing and with so much more knowledge. And so I feel like I was able to, part of the reason I was absolutely able to crush it in most of my sales gigs was because I was like mentally and physically pretty clear. Like I I was fit. I like had some muscle mass. I I was like confident in myself. So I, I, I didn't see myself as the fat loser piece of shit kid. I saw myself as this like fit, attractive, like smart person. And I would read those affirmations to myself. At first I thought, I, you know, obviously like, it feels like you're lying. And then at some point you start to believe it. And then at some point you like embody it. And then mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I am that. Um, and so I, I feel like it was such a transformational process, but Partly why I've been able to succeed in sales is because of that like clarity that I hold in my head and the respect that I have for my body. And I think that's something to be said, right? Like if a sales guy shows up at your house and he's like 50 to 100 pounds overweight and he like it's all sweaty or like greasy or whatever, like that instantly you're like, that's not a good vibe. Like I don't. You know, and nothing against people that are overweight. I was very overweight, but yeah. like how you take care of yourself and right. how you do anything is kind of how you do everything. And so if that's how they're going to treat their body, how are they going to treat my house? Right. That's kind of the subconscious thinking. And it's all based on these, you know, good sales is based on trust yeah. and something like in our primal brain, if someone's not taking care of themselves, like you just don't want, you can't trust them. Can't fully it's, trust yeah, them. It's hard to yeah. trust them. It's yeah. like, I don't gonna, know, something's off. Yeah. If they're not taking care of themselves, how do you know they're going to take care of all the little details? Yeah. Because they're missing all that stuff in their own life. Right. So that was a big, I think one of the big helpers is just feeling good and showing up. And I mean, even if you have days where you feel like shit, it's like yell your affirmations on the way there, like jump out. I'd always stop like a minute or two before their house push, do like 15, 20 pushups. Or if there was like a park, like where, you know, the, a lot of the neighborhoods have like the little kids parks, I'd jump out and do like 15 or 20 pull-ups. And then I'd just swing on the swing for like a minute, just be a little kid. <laughs> and like, child I'd up. laugh and giggle. And then I'd show up at their house and I'd be like laughing and smiling and just awesome. happy. And like when people are so used to like shitty energy and shitty people and like just negativity and drama that if you can show up and be like a bright light and like just be happy, not fake, but, you know, like genuine, like I said, do something that brings that inner child out, like swing on a swing set or something that's fun. Then people are like, wow, this guy's like, he's alive. Like there's a part of him that's like not totally dead inside. Like, what's that all about? And then they're like curious, which I feel like is really helpful. <laughs> yeah. I love that, man. That, that's a great note to to kind of close on. And with the last couple of minutes here, what would you want to share to people who are just getting started in this sales journey? Like, like, what did you wish you knew when you were up and coming in this, in this realm? Mm. I would say the number one thing is, uh, well, there's so many, but like one of the really important ones is put some money away. Like it's so easy in sales when you're making great money. And most salespeople think, oh, I can just like, fix my stupidity by earning more money. Like I'll just earn my way out of stupid, but I've fucking done that. Yeah. I mean, we all have like, yeah. you're like, Oh, well, this is a bad decision, but I'll just go make 10 grand tomorrow. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that's not a, like, it's good to have that mentality sometimes, 
But there's – and everybody might have a different opinion, but I feel like it's helpful to have a little bit of a safety net, have a little bit of savings like in sales, which can be very violent or like volatile up and down and violent. That's how also. <laughs> Yeah, I mean also. <laughs> but like in that space, you can – some you know, like you can have a month where you either don't make anything or you got to invest in a business or do something where you go backwards. And yep. so like having – gone from $20,000 to 5000 the next month. Yep. Is a yeah. Kicking so, the teeth. And so – and if you have $8,000 of expenses and you only make five, well, now you're going three grand in a debt. But if you had five or 10K just put away for a rainy day, then – that extra 3K, you just take care of it. And I feel like that peace of mind, like you had said, when you're new and you're starting out and you're struggling, even just having a 500 or a thousand bucks set aside so you can like, you know, you have gas in your car, yeah. you know, you have like, you can eat that piece of the primal brain can go away yeah. and you can like focus more on the customer. Right. So having a, that's really helpful. Um, and then just totally immersing yourself in knowledge, like being, I was a sponge, just like read every book you can listen to audio, listen to like any kind of go to sales trainings, personal development. Like if you're in sales, you are in, a, in essence, the product. And so the better version of you that you are, and the more you can refine yourself, the more reach and impact that you're going to have. So like I've probably invested $150,000 in coaching, training, programs, platforms, like things that take me to the next level. So I can not only level up myself, because I think that's what's cool in life, but also to be able to have that edge over people or not even over people, but like just be able to perform at a higher level than your competition, because you can word something a little bit better, or you can ask a little bit better question, or you can build a little bit more rapport. I felt the same way with training. It was like, the more I worked on myself, the more I managed and controlled my energy, mm. who I was, mm -hmm. the better clientele I got and the more I attracted more clients. Yeah. There's a saying of like, if I have 10 hours to chop this amount of wood, I'm going to spend the first nine hours sharpening my ax yeah, yeah. because then I only work for an hour really like kind of easy and I get all of the productivity done because I spent all that time sharpening the tool. Mm -hmm. And that is like continue sharpening your tool. That is the most sage advice you could possibly give. Joel Saffel, thank you so much for coming. <laughs> Peace out to yep. one's homies. <laughs> yeah, but first, tell us about where we could get your book when it comes out, your course, you yeah, know, so, connect with you if they just want to even just chat or coach with you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm going to be posting more on there. It's been mostly just dog videos. I was pretty like <laughs> under the radar. I liked being everything being off the grid. Part of that came from like when I was young and got into addiction and then just like dropped off of everything. And I still like the little bit of that like ghost essence, but I will be getting more on Instagram. So it's at Joel Saffel on Instagram and then joelsaffel.com is the website. Um, you can either send a link, drop an email or get the ebook through there. Um, and then just hit me up. Let me know how I can help. Dope, man. We appreciate you being here. Dude, it's been yeah. awesome. Great conversation. Joel. Hell yeah. I appreciate you guys.